Today's reading is John 1:14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, you can head to the lobby and the rest of us may be seated. That didn't help. Sorry. Good morning, Grace Long Beach. You guys are getting so much better at this. I love it. So it was October of 2013, and my wife Erin was pregnant with our um, youngest, well, middle now, youngest for the next few months, Micah. And uh, I can't remember, I think she was maybe like five or six months pregnant that October of 2013. And she started to not feel well, which she was pregnant, so she wasn't feeling well frequently. Uh, And then she got like intense pain. And I ended up taking her to the ER where we spent a few days. She had um, uh, problems with her kidneys that had to be resolved. And so, It's okay if it's yours, you could get it. <laughs> Make sure it's not mine, it's not mine. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> this is a side story. One of my early times preaching, there was an Amber Alert in Arizona and every iPhone user's cell phone went off at the same time and it sounded like feedback, it was crazy. Anyways, that has nothing to do with this story. Aaron was sick in October of 2013. Um, in November, a friend had gifted us a a short stay at a timeshare and our last morning there i woke up and i had this weird pain in my side and i was convinced that it was from my wife elbowing me because i snore in my sleep but as the day progressed it got worse and worse and then i developed a fever and then it got so painful i could barely like take my shirt off without screaming my whole side was just like on fire and cramping and I didn't know what it was so we ended up going to the urgent care they couldn't figure it out but gave me a bunch of antibiotics which is interesting uh, and, and sent me home the next morning I woke up with a very high fever went back to the ER and was admitted I had a kidney infection that had turned septic so Aaron's in October um, I'm in November Uh, but the very end of November. Prior to that, little Will, our oldest, was playing and fell and hit like the corner of his eye and later that day got a mosquito bite, like right in the same spot. And and it started to swell and, you know, Aaron was concerned and I'm like, yeah, baby's first black eye, this is awesome because, you know, I'm a guy and we don't know what we're doing. And it got worse and worse Uh, a few days later. It was swollen shut. And so we took him to the doctor and found out that we had to rush him to the children's hospital. He had um, periorbital cellulitis. If you're in the medical field, you know what that is. If you're not, then it's an infection in the soft tissue around the eye. And the doctor said, 
I should call an ambulance, but it's going to cost you guys a lot of money. So you have to promise me you're going to drive straight there. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll drive straight there. And she's like, no, he could lose his eye. And if the infection goes into his brain, he will die. You have to drive. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Like, no Starbucks on the side, right? Like, we're going straight there. So, so Aaron, then little Will, then me. And at this point, like, my pay time off is wiped out. I have no, she couldn't work. Three of us in the family, three consecutive months, we're all in the hospital. It's getting nearer to Christmas time. And I wake up one morning and I have pain on the other side. And we're like, really, Jesus? Like, really? And so I try to tough it out because we're starting to get the bills, right? And it's just starting and it's like the thousands and thousands and like, what are we going to do? We are desperate, but the pain gets worse and worse and worse, so I go back to the ER, and they run all kinds of tests, and they can't figure anything out, and so they run more tests and finally figure out that I had developed ulcers that were pretty severe from the number of antibiotics that they injected me with to kind of try to stop the sepsis and, and the pain meds, because it was, it was like unlike any other pain I'd, I'd ever experienced before. And then in January, Micah was born. And we're like, oh, thank God. Finally, some good news. Like, finally, we've turned the corner. Finally, there's hope. Finally, we're going to be okay. We went to the hospital for a good reason, right? Like, we brought a baby home. This is a good thing, not a bad thing, not a weird, random sickness. And when Micah was 10 days old, he developed a fever. And the doctors were concerned because it wasn't going down. And we had to take him to the hospital. And Aaron had to hold him still as they did a spinal tap at 10 days old. We needed Jesus to show up. We were exhausted. We were scared. I didn't know what was going to happen with my job. I knew I couldn't just continually take time off. They're like, maybe you should think about FMLA. And I'm like, you don't pay me for FMLA. Like, we needed to figure something out. We needed Jesus to show up. There was no other hope. There was no other hope in that moment. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had that moment where there is no other option. There's no plan B. There's no phone a friend. Like, you, you, you are crying out. You have cried out. The only thing that will help right now is Jesus. And as I get to know you, Grace, I've heard some of your stories of Jesus showing up. You guys have trusted us with some vulnerable moments where you have shared some of the darkest nights of your soul where Jesus has shown up. Here's the thing that Jesus has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Jesus always shows up in the flesh. You see, one of the things that happened, if you remember way back in the story, God created everything good, and sin has distorted every relationship we have. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with physical creation, even our relationship with ourselves is not the way it ought to be. And as a result of that, we experience distance from God. 
Not that God is hiding from us, but when we think back in the story, it's that we are hiding from him. And so God shows up and he talks to Abram. We talked about this a few weeks ago and he says, I'm going to bless you and your family so that my blessings will show up in the flesh through you and your descendants. He turns Abram and Sarah's family into a large nation of millions who are given the task of showing up to bless others, to bring the physical, tangible presence of God through their humanity. But because their humanity is corrupted by sin just like ours, it's never quite right. It's never quite good enough. It's never quite totally fulfilled. There's always something missing. So God comes near. This leads us to our text this morning, John chapter 1. John tells us this in his beautiful prologue. If you have the Pew Bible, which is the one underneath your seat, reach farther than you expect, you'll find it. It's going to be on page 886. It's a simple verse that has profound meaning for us as we think about our missional identity in this sermon series. This is what John tells us in John chapter 1. Verse 14, the word, which is how uh, one of the names that John uses to describe Jesus, the son of God, fully divine, fully God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The theological concept uh, for this is called incarnation. If you're like me and you love carne asada, you recognize one of the roots here. Incarnation, God in meats or God in the flesh. Jesus, the word who John tells us created all things that we will ever experience. The entire universe was created through him, put on flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson describes it this way. He says, God moved into the neighborhood. If you want to get real fancy and technical, the word here is tabernacle. God dwelt. God tabernacled amongst us. When God's people were in the wilderness waiting to be led into the promised land, God had them build a tent or a tabernacle where his presence would dwell with his people. And now God himself puts on flesh and dwells amongst his people, the incarnation. And as we think about this missional identity, I want us to listen with both ears, one ear hearing what Jesus has done for us, individually and collectively. The other ear hearing what Jesus is calling us to, Because if we're called to follow Jesus, if we're called to follow in his footsteps, then the way he does mission or he does ministry should be the way that we do ministry. Not just the words of Jesus, not just the message of Jesus, but the posture of Jesus. Jesus puts on flesh and dwells among us. So three things for us to consider. The first is that the incarnation is common. The incarnation, as beautiful and majestic as it is, is wildly mundane. The word put on flesh. Jesus probably got a sunburn at some point. 
Jesus had fingernails that needed to be clipped. Jesus probably, when he rolled out of bed in the morning, especially towards the end of his life, like creaked and popped just like us, needed to do, you know, like some, uh, like some of the stretches. As one commentator puts it, Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. We see Jesus eat meal after meal after meal. There was probably a favorite food that Jesus had. Jesus probably stayed up late with his friends sometimes. I bet they had inside jokes. I bet he knew the silly nicknames that the disciples' parents called them when they were young. Those really funny family stories, he probably knew those about Peter and John. Jesus had family drama. Jesus' brothers thought that he was literally insane. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The God of the universe who spoke sunrises and sunsets and constellations into existence had bad days. Just like us. He entered into our humanity, yes, with miracles, yes, with incredible sermons, and in simple friendship. He was fully God and fully human. He got angry. Jesus, at some point, learned how to read. He learned how to write. There was a teacher who taught Jesus how to read and write. So as we hear that, we understand that we follow a God who knows us, who has experienced some of the same things that we experience. Loss, grief, pain, hope, joy, excitement, frustration, sadness. Jesus wept over a death he knew he would reverse. Jesus was moved in his spirit. He wept over Jerusalem. He was filled with compassion when he saw the widow uh, carrying out her dead son. The things that you are experiencing, the hurts and the hopes, Jesus has felt some of those too. He knows. And so as we think about embodying this message, to folks that God is sending us to who don't yet know him, church, this is a heavy call. This isn't just memorize four spiritual laws so that you can rattle them off at the right time. This is look at every mundane moment as an opportunity to incarnate God in flesh, the gospel. How can I use the drive to flag football games to communicate the gospel with the team that I'm coaching? How can we use our neighborhood walks as we take our dog around to communicate the gospel to the neighbors that I'm passing day after day? How can I take the ordinary moments of a conversation with a server who comes to the table to display the gospel? What can we do in the very real, very small, everybody experiences tangible moments of life to show how 
good Jesus is. So we try really hard to believe what we talk about here. We believe that God cares, and we believe that God is active. We believe God responds when we pray. So we're going to do the awkward thing, and we're going to take a few moments right now to pray. It's going to be quiet, and we never have an opportunity to be quiet anywhere in our culture, so it's going to feel weird. That's okay. We all feel weird together. We're going to ask the Spirit to reveal to us right now what are the mundane things we can do, the boring, monotonous details of life that we can steward to show what Jesus is like. Spirit, you know our hearts. We ask that you would speak to us now. Bring images to mind in this quiet space that you are calling us to steward for your kingdom. Father, we invite you to continue speaking to us. Now, if you got something, write it down. Don't forget. You have my permission as the preacher. Take out your phone. Do a note. Do what you got to do. Make sure you remember that because this is what just happened. If you got something, if you got an image, a word, a phrase, whatever, that means the Spirit just spoke to you in this moment. He still does that. That's really good news, church. Let's keep going. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Incarnation, yes, it's common. It is also close. It's intimate. It's proximate. The word dwelt amongst us. Not only in heaven, not only in a spiritual unseen realm, but amongst us. God moved into the neighborhood. What would it be like if God moved into your neighborhood? What would Jesus notice? Who would he spend his time with? I wonder what questions he would ask your neighbors. I wonder what miracles he would perform. What areas of brokenness would he identify as an opportunity for the miraculous to provide a glimpse of what his coming kingdom will look like? Who are the lonely on your street that he would embrace? What stories would he learn about the lady across the street who never comes out? You know she's there. You see the garbage can, and then the garbage can is gone. You know she's there, but you never see her. What is, I wonder how he would learn her story. I wonder how long he would spend in the living room of the lady who talks way too much. You have one of those on your street? The one where it's like, ah, I want to I say hi, I want to wave, but I need to make sure that I have at least 45 minutes because this conversation is going to go way longer than I think my schedule will allow. How many minutes would Jesus spend in conversation with her, I wonder? I wonder how he would be vulnerable 
how he would allow himself to open up and invite people into relationship with him. Because there's a risk anytime we do that. Because newsflash, none of us are perfect. All of us hurt each other. None of us always keep our promises. We never always do what we say, never always do what we intend. There is always risk in relationship, and Jesus continues to step forward inviting relationship. I wonder who the person that, you know that person at your job that you're like, ugh, if they could just, they're supposed to be a great resignation. If they could just resign, my life would be so much better. That person, I wonder what Jesus would say to them. I wonder how many lunches a week he would choose to eat with the annoying person. If you don't have one of those people at your job, it may be you. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Nobody here. But I wonder who Jesus would go out of his way to get to know. I wonder if there's like that big social issue that gets you really, really fired up and you listen to podcasts and you read books, but you don't know anyone who actually experiences the things that you're so passionate about. I wonder if it's maybe like one of those people that Jesus could be inviting you to. The thing that breaks your heart for this city that you're like, oh, we got to do something. But maybe like no one that you know actually experiences that injustice Maybe Jesus is prompting you to invite them into your living room. I wonder who Jesus could be calling us to rub shoulders with. Maybe somebody really fun. Maybe somebody that's going to be your future best friend. Who knows? Maybe somebody that's going to annoy you and vote differently than you. (gasps) Jesus has an eclectic group of friends. Jesus is hanging out, sorry, I know there's some kids here, with women of ill repute. Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors who are exploiting their own people. Jesus is hanging out with zealots who are always armed, ready to violently overthrow the government. Jesus is spending time with Pharisees and with gluttons and drunkards. Jesus is hugging lepers. Jesus is spending incredible amounts of time with ordinary blue-collar fishermen aren't educated. And it does something to them, this time with Jesus. Some of you have walked with Jesus longer than I've been around, and you know it does something to you when you spend time with Jesus. This incarnation is close. It always moves and operates in relationship. So get ready. We're going to be awkward again. We're going to ask the Spirit to bring people to mind, okay? We're going to ask the Spirit to bring faces and names into our minds of people he is calling us to pursue relationally because he pursues us relationally, okay? Now, we got to be brave because when the Spirit starts revealing things, now we're accountable. Now we got to do something with it. So only ask if you mean it. If you don't mean it, Be careful with these kinds of prayers, because when the Spirit speaks, the Spirit expects us to respond. So we're going to ask if you're willing. Jesus, you have pursued us, you are pursuing us, and you will continue to pursue us, and so we say thank you for that. And we ask that you would bring people to mind. Who are you sending us to?
who are you speaking to through us? We ask that you would bring faces and names and opportunities and creativity to communicate with them. Would you speak to us now? Thank you for speaking to us. All right, third movement. We have incarnation is common. The incarnation is close. Here's the other reality. The incarnation is costly. When God put on flesh, he became vulnerable. Turns out our flesh is weak. Our bodies are frail. When Jesus put on flesh, he opened himself up to the possibility of becoming a sacrifice. When God the Father was forming God the Son in Mary's womb, knitting him together, it became plausible that the blood that flowed through his veins would be shed for us and for others who don't yet know him. As God was forming the tiny fingers and hands, I wonder if he had that image of those hands being stretched wide for us. I wonder when the son was being baptized and it was the voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I wonder if the father had foresight to know that the son would cry out one day, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The incarnation is costly. It cost the son his life. It cost the father the life of his son for a time. Right? We don't stay stuck in Good Friday. The Easter's there also. The resurrection happened. There is hope. And it costs. Here's the deal, church. If we're going to do mission like this, it's going to cost us. In my limited experience, what typically happens is folks start to get really excited. They want to make an impact. They want to live on mission. They want to, they want to share their faith. They want to engage in justice. All these really, really good things. Right? And, and a, a lot of times, at least in my old church, they'd want to meet with me and like, all right, what do I do? And so the first question that I learned to ask is, what are you willing to give up? Not so that you can add another thing, right? I already know, because I live life, that my schedule is already too jam-packed for mission, okay? So if we start by saying, you got to add a thing, there's no space, and it will always fall off. So the first question has to be, what are we willing to give up? It's going to cost something. What are we willing to give up? Then this is the counterintuitive part. Probably God is not calling you to something new. Probably God is calling you to give something up so that you have enough margin to do the things you're already doing with missional intention. Some of us may be called to go to, to Baja and, and to serve somewhere else. Praise God for that. 
Some of us may be called to go all the way across the world and go to an unreached people group. Praise God for that. Right now, one person excluded, you guys are called to Long Beach. You're here. You guys are called to the job that God has given you, the neighborhood where you bought a house, the friend groups that you're in. So how can we live incarnationally in those spaces where God has already called us? You don't have to put on the cape and turn into a superhero and do all of this big glorious stuff for God. What if it's just the regular stuff of life? What if we're just willing to give something up to think creatively about how we can live out our faith? how we can share our faith. What if instead of watching three Netflix shows a night, you just watch two? What if in those extra 30 minutes, 15 minutes is praying, and 15 minutes is is journaling ideas of how you can share your faith with the person God just brought to your mind? Now hear me, I did not say don't watch Netflix. I just said instead of three shows, just watch one. Magically, you got 30 minutes of your life back. I'm going to push a little more. What if your kids only play one sport for season? I know we're in Long Beach. We send more kids to the pros than any other city in the galaxy. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning your culture. I'm learning. What if your kids just play one sport per season? What if you could use that extra time to like actually engage the other families on the team rather than just running from thing to thing, place to place, getting the food in the car, through the drive-through, because you don't have time. I know this because we live it. I'm not saying we got this figured out. We're in it with you guys. What are the easy things? Right? I'm not calling anyone to like abandon everything. What are the easy, simple things, the 30 minutes that you can reclaim to think and pray and act missionally in your life already? I, I, I hope that doesn't feel like a big ask. Like I know whatever show you're engaged in right now, it's really, really good, but like what if it just takes a couple extra days to finish it? Can we give that up? Incarnation is costly. It will always cost us something. It will cost us going to the person we don't want to talk to. It will cost us confronting the ugly idol in my life that I like to protect. It will cost me being vulnerable and stepping out in relationship with somebody who at some point is going to hurt me. But what if even that is an opportunity to show forgiveness and grace? It's this incarnation is common, it's close, it's costly. But this is what I know. In 2013, I didn't forget, don't worry, I'm gonna finish the story. In 2013, when we were sick and we were so desperate for Jesus, guess what Jesus did? He showed up. He showed up in very common ways. We had friends from church who showed up a few days before Christmas and said, we know you guys are recovering, there's no way you can hang Christmas lights, can we do that for you? He showed up in a card that we got that had one gift card for Subway for $10 and one gift card for Taco Bell for $10, and the note said, I'm a poor college student, I wish I could do more, this is the only way I can help. He showed up in common ways. 
He showed up in close ways with friends who would sit at the hospital and pray with us and cry with us. And one friend who only said, I'm really sad and I'm really angry with you. I wept. He showed up with people who would just take Will and go play. Let him walk around the hospital just to go for a walk. He showed up in phone calls. He showed up, believe it or not, on social media. I know it's evil and horrible and it destroys everything. And the other thing it does is notify people around the globe when you have a prayer need. We literally had people in other countries praying for us. He showed up in close ways. Now here's the miracle part. He showed up in costly ways. Two stories out of the thousands we could share. We had to start paying. We had a bill that was $100. We didn't have $100 for this bill. Looked at Aaron and said, I don't know what we're gonna do. (laughs) And we went to sleep. I didn't pray a prayer of faith. I didn't go to bed with deep conviction that Jesus was gonna show up. I was scared. And in the morning, there was a blank envelope on our doorstep with a $100 bill. And I remember walking inside saying, this stuff doesn't, this is what preachers talk about in sermons, but there's no way that those are like actual stories that happen. Those have to be lies. And now I'm the dude doing it, right? Like I'm the preacher telling you, no, we needed $100, a blank envelope with a $100 bill showed up on my doorstep. I don't know who, I don't know how, Jesus showed up and it was costly for somebody. We had a friend of a friend who owned multiple businesses in Arizona who called me. Uh, this is like mid-February, so now lots of the medical bills are coming in, right? Like we're getting all the like, oh yeah, you wanted to use diapers for your baby in the hospital? That's $500. Like, wait, what? And he just said, how much do you need? And I'm like, excuse me? He said, how much, how much do you need? I've heard about what's been going on. I'm really sorry. How much do you need? And I said, I, I don't know, but I know it's a, a lot of money. And he said, okay, does your wife do the bills? And I said, yes. <laughs> he said, talk to your wife. And Beth's cracking up because she knows how disorganized I am. She's like, thank God Aaron does the bills in that household. Um, he said, talk to your wife. Just tell me the amount. And he wrote a check. And it changed our lives. I mean, literally, right? Like coming out from that financial burden changed our lives. Now here's the deal with this story. There's a way to look at it that just says, oh, we're nice people, and nice people showed up. Maybe. But I think what has happened throughout church history is nice people have encountered a nicer God. Well-intentioned people who can never actually live this thing out have been filled with the Spirit, have been so compelled with who Jesus is that he radically transforms their life so they will spend time at a hospital with the sick. They will take time out of their schedule to speak a word of encouragement to the hopeless. They will open up their checkbooks and say, I will pay the cost because I have been saved by one who has paid the cost. When this gets into us, into our bones, into who we are, we can't help but start living incarnationally. We can't help but see the lady across the street and wonder what her story is that keeps her behind closed doors. We can't help but take those awkward steps off of our sidewalk, cross the street and knock on the door and say, how are you? Maybe that's the missionary encounter Jesus is calling us to in Long Beach. 
We can't help but say, yes, youth sports matter. I'm not going to keep picking on them, I promise. But maybe something better matters. Not that youth sports are unimportant. No one's saying don't play sports, but does it have to consume our schedules? Maybe every single thing in our life is an opportunity for Jesus to show others what he's like through us. And maybe Jesus has already been speaking to you. Maybe Jesus has already been giving you images and names and pictures of faces of people that he is calling you to serve. Grace, you have asked for this church to be about the city. God is responding. The Spirit is doing it. This is how I know. Not because of what I have done. Not because of ABCD. Not because of the interview team or the prayer team. Because you guys are coming up to me after service and telling me how God is speaking to you. It's happening. You guys are talking about the ideas you have to bless other people. It's happening. What's the next step? I'm confident. I'm confident that Jesus has already been talking to you through this service. I'm confident the Spirit has already been saying things as you've been listening with two ears. This is what God has done for me. Now I get to go do it for someone else. And he's going to keep doing it. Man, I've gone too long. I could keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. Oh. You are good in ways that we can't understand, and you are good in ways that are so small we don't often notice. You are so good in the hug of a friend. You are so good in the well-timed text message. Jesus, you are so good in the peace that comes in a meal around a table with, with those that we love. You're so good as we cry out to you in the hard times, in the dark times, when we doubt, but we have no other place to go. And you respond. You respond in knowing looks and smiles and handshakes and generosity and kindness and hospitality. And Father, we have received so much. So we invite you we invite you to use us as your vessels. We invite you to stir us to action. We step forward in boldness knowing that it is going to cost us something. But Jesus, we love you. We declare that we love you. And if that's true, then we love other people. So we trust you to help us to do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.